<clears throat> Thank you, everybody. I am super excited to be here uh, and share with you guys today about what I think is a very important topic. But uh, before we get started, I have to do something. <clears throat> uh, you may or may not be aware uh, that Dr. Jeannie Ohm, my friend and mentor and hero, and the leader of the ICPA and chiropractic warrior passed away a few weeks ago. It has been very devastating uh, impact on the ICPA, although we will keep on doing our mission and serving the kids and the pregnant women uh, because that's what she wanted us to do. <clears throat> but it's created a hell of an impact uh, because there is a gaping hole in the ICPA that will never be filled. And um, she was my friend and she had mentored me in many, many aspects in many different ways over the years, especially when I first met her in 93 and uh, became Webster certified. So uh, all I know is that if Jeannie uh, was still here, um, she would say, you just keep on adjusting the kids in the pregnant woman. Just don't stop, right? Uh, and there's so much controversy out there now and so many you know, forces in Canada and Australia fighting against people uh, to adjust the children in pregnant women but she would just say, never give up, right? Never surrender. So uh, I have dedicated all my classes here at Life, uh, this class today, and uh, all my ICPA classes, like I was just in Spartanburg this weekend, and I dedicated all my classes to Jean uh, for the next year, uh, because I don't want anybody to ever forget the contribution that she made to take ICPA from a pretty small organization when Webster passed, back in the 90s to 6,000 members, the largest non-political chiropractic organization in chiropractic. So if you don't mind, what I'd like to do just for a moment uh, before I get started is if we can all just close our eyes and pray a little bit. So that being said, now let's get to our topic. <clears throat> I um, had such a demand uh, to talk about Lyme and Panda's uh, disease from so many different chiropractors uh, last year at uh, our fall CE um, talk uh, when I talked about concussions uh, that I decided this year to do a four-hour talk uh, to all the docs at fall CE. Uh, regarding Lyme and pandas. So what I'm going to do now is try to compress four hours into 45 minutes, <laughs> which is not easy. Uh, and so I won't talk fast. I'm just going to kind of talk about the high uh, points, uh, if you're okay with that. Um, here's an example, a uh, real-life example of, real-life example of uh, patients that I'm actually dealing with. Uh, we see a number of people with Lyme and pandas uh, within our practice. So here's an example. Uh, we had a five-year-old male who was generally super, super active, according to the mom. Uh, and he would always run around, and he was the first one to get adjusted. And he was like just running, running, running. And then he got strep throat. And then two weeks later, 
after getting strep throat and he started feeling a little bit better, all of a sudden he was limping with hip pain fever and, and had a significant personality change. And I mean like all of a sudden this kid went from being like, I want to jump on the table first thing to like, mommy, don't let him touch me. I'm so afraid, standing behind mommy crying and screaming and having all these really weird you know, tendencies and all these tick things and he had to touch certain things as he was going through the office and or at home and stuff. So what should we look for? If a kid's coming in with, uh, who had strep and now has hip pain and fever, what should we be looking for as chiropractors? Rheumatic fever is the thing we want to look for. So if you, we, because something like, if you think about hip pain, hip pain um, is, is anything arthritis, like an arthritic-based issue, you have to start thinking about a, if a child had strep, what might have happened is that strep never went away and it kind of blossomed within the body and now it's turning into rheumatic fever. So with rheumatic fever, you're gonna look for a rash and you'll have a rash with scarlet fever too, but scarlet fever is a different kind of rash and I'll show you in a second. With rheumatic fever, you might have nodules and with scarlet fever, you'll have a red tongue and pasteus lines, which is sort of a different kind of a rash too. So this is what it kind of looks like. With scarlet fever, and you will see this, if you see enough kids, you will definitely see scarlet fever. They will have had strep, a few weeks later they'll get sick again, you ask them to stick out their tongue and it looks like a strawberry. It's as red as a strawberry. So it, it really, and I've seen this several times, so this is not like making this thing up at all. And then pasteus lines are, what happens is uh, uh, scarlet fever, their rash is, if it's actually a rash that feels like sandpaper. So if you put your hands on their you know, body, wherever their rash is, it feels rough. Um, very different than a, <coughs> most rashes, which are very smooth. <clears throat> With rheumatic fever, the rheumatic fever rash is not showing on this projector very well. Um, but the rheumatic fever rash is very blotchy. It looks like someone takes a can of paint and goes like this, and just threw this can of paint on someone. So it's not like little rashes like measles or something. It's like this blotchy kind of rash. So when he came in and he said, uh, the mom said, you know, he's complaining, he's like limping like this. He's a five-year-old boy who's limping, who he doesn't have, hadn't had a fall. And we're looking at him, I'm like, let's lift up his shirt. So he lifted up his shirt and the mom hadn't you know, looked at him you know, that day and he had started developing a rash all over his body, this kind of blotchy rash. Um, and uh, we looked at his throat and you could see like the strep, you know, uh, when you, a child has strep throat, you're gonna see like these little white nodules on their tonsils and adenoids and stuff. And I said, you know what? This whatever strep he had a couple weeks ago and it came back again, um, this has to be taken care of. Um, and what happens with these kids is not every kid with rheumatic fever is gonna go into a more behavioral kind of uh, issue, but some of these kids will. And in this particular uh, case, <coughs> what is it? Because his, you know, after he felt better from the actual rheumatic fever, God bless you, his behavior didn't change, right? So he's now, he's got no more fever, he's got no more rash, the rheumatic fever is gone, but his behavior is still totally weird for this kid. This kid was like the rough and tumble, I don't wanna go just the first, I'm the, you know, you know, I'm the center of attention kind of kid, and now he's like cowering behind mommy and is totally afraid and crying all the time. And, and the mom said, um, this is very classic, you'll see this, especially with, with pandas, is you'll see a child and they'll say, uh, the mom or the guy will say, I don't know who this is. 
This is not my kid, right? My kid wasn't like this. Um, and so this is pandas, right? And this is when pandas aren't friendly. Um, so this pandas is called pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep. Pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep. That's what pandas stands for. Um, and this pandas is very, very challenging because you see a child who at one time had this great personality and totally effervescent whatever, and now all of a sudden he's a very, very different, or she's a very, very different child. Here's another uh, patient. So uh, she's a 16-year-old female who had a tick bite a couple of years ago. Um, they found the tick, but they had no idea how long it was on them. That's an important factor, which we'll talk about later, because uh, a lot of people can get tick bites, and it won't have any effect if the tick comes on and off in a quick period of time. But if the tick stays on for a long period of time, that's where the problems are. So they had no idea how long it was there. And she has sudden on onset of difficulty concentrating stomach complaints, fatigue, headaches, and sleep challenges. So this is your classic Lyme disease, right? This is your classic Lyme disease. <clears throat> Kids with Lyme disease <clears throat> are gonna have a lot more problems in school. They have a lot more problems with relationships. They have a significant risk of depression. They usually have a lot of pain uh, this one girl, we, I saw her yesterday, uh, <clears throat> um, she has a very significant TMJ pain uh, at times, and other times it'll be back pain, and other times it'll be rib pain. It's this migrating kind of uh, pain kind of situation. And <clears throat> I will tell you, just from the experiences that uh, we've had, and this is just uh, sort of a suggestion for all of you, um, is make sure that you learn multiple different techniques while you're here at Life. <clears throat> because uh, a traditional osseous technique is not effective for people who are in the midst of very serious Lyme issue. You can't do an osseous adjustment on them if they're in the midst of a Lyme, uh, out, uh, Lyme exacerbation. They will have massive uh, increase in pain with a more osseous kind of adjustment. So you've got to learn <clears throat> your activator. You've got to learn your tunnel techniques like network. <clears throat> you need to have a lot of these tricks up your sleeve uh, when you're dealing with these uh, kids who've had Lyme disease, and pandas for that matter, because they are so super sensitive. Um, they just do not respond to a more traditional adjustment the way you would think they would. So uh, let's just have some definitions. So I already gave you the pandas definition, and Lyme disease, as we mentioned, is associated with a tick bite. Um, and pans is a, sort of another version that uh, actually came before pandas. Pans is when the uh, there's an a neuropsychiatric issue associated with an illness, but it's not necessarily strep. It could be anything. It could be staph, it could be a fungal infection, yeast, whatever it happens to be. Um, the big issue that we see with PANS uh, is that those kids um, are way worse in their behavioral issues. Way worse. These kids will be, become violent, will have significant uh, uh, episodic outbursts, um, they, they could become very dangerous and suicidal. So this is like, a, this is like way, way, way more severe uh, kind of poten potential situation uh, that we're dealing with. <clears throat> but let's talk about Lyme first. Uh, Lyme comes from the deer uh, tick or the black-legged tick that looks kind of like this, greatly magnified. They don't, they're not that big, um, luckily. Uh, there's a lot, lot, lot more Lyme disease out there than was previously estimated. There are now estimates that there's 300,000 cases of Lyme every single year. 
um, which is way, way, way more than they thought. It's 10 times more than they, they thought. They thought it was like 30,000 or less, and it's really 300,000 cases of Lyme disease every single year. Um, they, uh, th the biggest problem with Lyme is that there's no reliable tests, um, that not everybody has the typical rash. If you all remember, if you took my 10th quarter class, we talk about the Lyme, the, the tick rash, the erythema migrans, it's like the bullseye kind of rash. Not everybody gets a rash, so that's why some people don't even realize that they were bit by a tick. Um, and the most common test, which is the ELISA test, misses 35% of Lyme disease. And I'll show you why in a moment. But uh, the kids who, who are stricken with very serious Lyme disease, or what they call chronic Lyme, that was that they, they wasn't taken care of early on very well, and they have chronic uh, Lyme issues, these kids are very sick and very debilitated. 40% um, of them will have long-term health issues. 40% of them will have constant relapses over and over and over again. So just because, let's say, you have Lyme disease and it is taken care of doesn't mean it's gone. It, it's kind of like chickenpox. It kind of lasts in the system. And it can kind of exact, come and go and come and go and come and go. Just the same way chickenpox, you can get um, you know, shingles later on. It's the same kind of thing. And 60% of patients uh, will have some sort of arthritic <coughs> pains. Um, so they are very debilitated with pains. So the several patients that we see in my practice uh, now uh, who have Lyme disease, uh, these kids have not been in school for years. Uh, they are, are uh, you know, doing all homeschooling uh, you know, kind of stuff. They are not involved in sports. So as you can imagine, that is very, very challenging for these kids because you, you have a, here's a 16-year-old young lady who's very effervescent and bright, but she can't get past this debilitating you know, sort of issue. Um, so her whole life has been completely changed uh, because of this. <clears throat> uh, a couple of facts that are really important. Um, uh, the bacteria that causes Lyme is called Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, and um, ticks are not born with Borrelia burgdorferi. So if you actually have like a baby tick somehow, um, it won't necessarily be in there. What happens is these ticks, um, they, they feed on infected animals and, it, and they, they, it starts to get in their system. So a tick isn't naturally a carrier, it is a carrier because of who it feeds on. Um, here's the big thing, is that a tick must attach to your body for like a day or two in order to spread Borrelia. So just because you've had a tick bite, like you look at it, you go, oh my God, I have a tick you know, on me. You've got to get it off as ASAP because the quicker you find it, the better. So for those of you who have children or are going to have children, um, I highly recommend if they play in any place where there's a lot of grass or weeds or trees or you know, foresty, wooded kind of areas, that you do a tick check when they come home every night to make sure there's no ticks, right? So don't just say go up and take a shower or bath, whatever. Uh, let's do a tick check and uh, see what's going on. I also recommend that if, um, especially if you live in places like uh, north and northeast or the southwest, where the, there's the most amount of ticks now, the, the deer ticks and the black leg ticks are mostly on the two like edges of the states, you know, up in the northwest and then and up in the uh, northeast and the northwest. Um, if you have any, uh, if you want to have the kids go out and play, don't have them play like in Crocs and or flip flops and sandals. Have them wear socks, have them wear pants, especially uh, if you're going to play in anything that's long grass or weeds or, you know, uh, playing out in some foresty kind of area. Uh, even though I know it's like cooler 
uh, in terms of temperature and cool, uh, to not wear like pants, I would rather protect my kids uh, than having to get a tick bite potentially. So uh, just you know, be, it's always about precaution. Um, many people with Lyme disease never even see or feel a tick in their body, so people think that. You know, oh, if I get a tick bite, I'm definitely going to see that. We talked about 50%, but you never see a rash. You had no idea. It was there, it infected you, and it's gone. And you had no idea. Because ticks aren't like these giant sized things that, you know, sit on you like this. Some of them are the size of like, like the, you know, point of a pin or something. So you can't see that. So if it lasts on you for a day or two, and it's in your hair or something, or on your back, you don't even notice it, or on your back of your leg over here, you don't even realize it, it can go on you, do its thing, and leave, and you have no idea that you're infected. So we can't uh, assume <coughs> that just because I didn't see a tick, or see a tick bite rash, that it wasn't there. But understand, most people who are bitten by a tick do not get Lyme disease. So we can't be concerned that every tick bite will get Lyme, uh, will be infected by Lyme. That's not necessarily true. It's only true if it's been on for 24 to 36 hours, and that tick happened to have the Borrelia burgdorferi in it. So more facts is um, usually you will, if you do see a rash, it's gonna be that bullseye rash, it's called erythema migrans. Um, generally, the first, when you first get a tick bite, it's gonna be, um, you'll have a lot of muscle aches and pains. That's one of the biggest uh, first associations with this, is they have muscle, joint, muscle and joint aches and pains within uh, several hours to days after the bite. Um, 70 to 80% of people infected will develop the rash, but it's not everybody. Um, the rash may not show up immediately. It may show up days or weeks later. Uh, and here's the big thing is it may take four to six weeks for the immune system to make antibodies against it, which is why the tests are so difficult. Because if you get a, have a tick bite and you get tested relatively quickly, it may not show up because the antibodies haven't been produced enough for us to see it with our lab tests, right? So super important to understand. Let's mention this too. If you do find a tick on your body, what should you do with it? Or a kid's body, what should you do with it? You should save it, very good. And do what with it? Very good. Most people don't know that. What she said is, if you, get, if you find a tick and you get it off the, the child body or your body, you should get that tick tested. Don't just step on it, kill it, smush it, you know, to throw it into the fireplace, whatever. You know, you want to test it. What is in that tick? So, and all pediatricians and even like any lab test kind of thing will have tests to find out what's in that tick because you want to know ASAP um, what's going on with that particular tick. And so that's the first thing. But how do you get the tick off of you? You just pull it off? Is that a good idea? Vaseline, who said that? Was that you? Excellent. One of the best ways to remove a tick is to put some Vaseline on, like a blob of Vaseline on that tick. Why? Because they can't breathe. Very good. Because what will happen is they can't breathe, right? And so they will back off. Or you can use ice cube. If you don't have Vaseline, don't want to put Vaseline on you. You can use an ice cube and put the ice cube on the tick and the tick will get cold and back off. Why is that important? Because you don't want the head to get lodged into the tick, into your body. Because the, 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 the tick has jaws, and in the jaws are its little uh, like venom pouch thingies. And if you just pull the tick off with the tweezers, you know, or with your fingernails or whatever, and you leave the tick's jaws in you, 
then it can still pump the venom into you. So you don't want to assume that you should, can just pull the tick off, um, that you want to, it's better to back the, the tick off. You do not use a cigarette, right, or a match or something like that. I've had some people tell me about using cigarettes and matches and going like this. I'm like, well, that's one way to do it, but you're probably, you might kill the tick, but then the tick, as it's dying, will pump its venom you know, into you. So it's not recommended. Um, I had a patient who lives in a very wooded area up in you know, the Georgia, uh, you know, North Georgia woods. And she has this new thing that's it's like a spoon kind of thing. It's called a tick, tick cutter or something. It's a scoop kind of a thing where it'll go underneath the tick and then you can kind of go like this and lift it up. It kind of just came out. And she has it on her keychain because her kids are constantly getting ticks. Um, and she's constantly getting them tested. Luckily, nothing's ever happened. But it, so I'm just telling you, there's all these great new devices out there. But not many people have this tick spoon thing. So um, you know, using Vaseline or using an ice cube uh, are the, is the next best uh, thing to do. Um, so get the tick tested. Not all ticks have uh, uh, the Lyme disease in it. Uh, in the Northeast and the upper Midwest uh, have the most amount of ticks. Um, uh, the rest of so 50% of their ticks are infected. Rest of, so down here, uh, less common. Certainly can happen. You know, we have a lot of people who were born here, raised here, and they've got tick bites, and they're from here, and they're sick with Lyme disease. But it's not as common in the south. It's not as common in the um, southwest, like Arizona, California kind of stuff. But uh, we talk about Washington, Oregon, some of the other Midwestern states, and certainly uh, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New Hampshire a lot of Lyme disease up in those areas. Um, and just like we mentioned before, how long is the tick feed? These are the three factors to determine who gets Lyme, right? What's in the tick, where are you, and uh, how long is the tick feeding? So the tick was actually discovered, at, uh, the Lyme was discovered at Yale University in the 70s in Connecticut. But believe it or not, it started in the 1880s uh, in, in England uh, and in Germany. Uh, they actually, this, they had this disease called Acrodermatitis chronica atrophicans, and that was actually the beginning of Lyme disease. Um, so they actually discovered it way, way, way back in the 1800s. They never truly figured out where it came from. Uh, they had no idea that there was a relationship to a, a tick bite um, until the 70s when uh, Yale University figured it out. This is what the bullseye looks like. Very classic. Ugh, this projector is awful. Um, so, but this is what it looks like. The, the tick is kind of right there in the middle, and then there's like a red circle, and then a white skin circle, and then another red circle like this. So it, it develops this classic bullseye looking uh, pattern that you'll see. And I, God bless you, I've seen this a few times on patients. Is it usually that big? No, this is, this is unusually giant, but that's why I showed it to you, because it's quite obvious to see. Do you have a question? So this doesn't necessarily mean they have the disease, this is just what a tick guy looks like. This is what a tick bite looks like. Uh, so any tick, so you can have Rocky Mountain spotted fever or nothing from this. But if you have this, right, you best get tested. And you best get, if the tick is still there, you best get that tick tested to make sure you know what's going on inside that little tick. These are the different diseases that are in ticks. So Rocky Mountain spotted fever was the first one that came, was discovered early in 1900s. And there's been a zillion, well not a zillion, but a good 20 more uh, other disorders that ticks create. Um, so just kind of like mosquitoes, they have malaria and they carry you know, uh, St. Uh, Louis encephalitis and West Nile virus and all these other weird things that 
mosquitoes can carry. Well, ticks carry some lovely things uh, as well. Um, understanding the early versus, God bless you, early versus late line. In the early stages uh, and the late stages, fatigue is usually one of the biggest things. Like I said, there's one particular young lady I'm thinking about. Uh, this girl can, she can do like a half hour to an hour's worth of homework a day and that's it. She does not go to school. She, everything is done at home. Um, she's a very bright young lady, but she gets fatigued very, very easily. Um, a lot of people early on too um, will have some kind of joint pain, but later on it gets almost significant and now it's this migrating thing where there's some joint pain somewhere along the body almost every time I see her it's some other uh, kind of issue. Here's another patient I have who has uh, uh, Lyme, uh, but it's a chronic, this is the chronic Lyme rash. So you, know, you have the early Lyme rash, which is the erythema migrans, which comes right from the tick itself. But then they will develop these rash-like exacerbations when they're going through an episode, as they call it. And they will develop these linear uh, kind of rashes that will come and go um, when he has an exacerbation. So this is a, an example of what that you know, kind of looks like. I'm not going to go over all this with you, uh, but you can see that, uh, there's different uh, symptoms that you'll see in early Lyme disease uh, versus late Lyme disease. And this is sort of a, a checklist that I pulled off the internet for this. But this is the biggest issue with people with Lyme disease is treatment failure. Um, a lot of people who have Lyme disease are going to come to see you because nothing has worked. They have tried this and this and this and this and this and this and nothing has worked. And chiropractic really has been the biggest thing I've seen with these kids, especially to calm their nerve systems down. Right? That's what we really, really are good at is calming their nerve systems down. So that's why it's important for us to, uh, to take care of kids who have Lyme and pandas um, because that's something we can offer them. You know, like never say to someone, uh, I'm gonna make your Lyme disease better, right? Like, that may never happen, right? That they may just have to deal with this. It's so, sort of a thing they're gonna have to live with to some degree or another. Um, so always under promise. I tell this to my classes a lot, under promise what we can do, but we can, I can promise I'll remove subluxations I can promise that their brain nerve system is going to work as best as it can with this issue, right? So within the framework of you have Lyme disease and it's going to be with you, we can do the best we can because a lot of them are having significant treatment failure uh, rates. Uh, chronic Lyme disease uh, patients are complaining of 75% of them will have severe or very severe symptoms. So, so months to years later of after getting uh, infected. That's why it's so important to, to catch this early, right? To get that tick off them early. And if the, they do, it is positive with Lyme to, to choose some kind of treatment, whether it's antibiotics, if you want to go that route, or it's some sort of homeopathic, you know, natural remedies. You got to do something to kill uh, that bacteria before it, it gets through the system. Because the problem is, once it gets into the, it goes throughout the body, it is now throughout the body. It's not just in one spot. It's not just in the lungs. It's now in every organ, every tissue, so, and floating all over the place. And now you have this chronic issue that's not stopping. So it's almost like a rheumatic, like someone having rheumatoid arthritis, whereas it's a body-wide you know, malfunction and not just a one small area malfunction. Unfortunately, because of this, uh, people with very serious and debilitating chronic Lyme, a lot of them have suicidal thoughts and have made suicide gestures. So you can see that this is a devastating thing. This is not, like, when I was in school in the 80s, and we were taught about Lyme disease, it was like, oh, they'll have some neurological things, some cardiac things, maybe some, uh, some joint pains and aches, 
And that's about it. It was never to this extent. Um, the, the, the lime that is out there now is, is a different story than the lime that was going on back in the 80s when I was in school here. <clears throat> um, just to talk about some unusual transmissions, um, it can happen during birth. So it can be transferred, as I was talking with one of those students, it can be transferred potentially from the mom and dad into the fetus. Uh, what does that mean? They don't know. There's no absolute studies on this to prove this, but they are seeing some anecdotal evidence that this is a possibility. So in other words, if parents have Lyme, one or both parents have Lyme, it can go into the child to some degree. They're, they're looking into this. There's nothing definitive, but they're all looking into this. And this all comes from the CDC, so this is some serious stuff. Um, some women who have uh, Lyme disease will have frequent miscarriages. Um, there is a potential in sexual transmission. Uh, because it is based on fluid, and if someone has a Lyme and it is active and within some bodily fluid, it can transfer to another person if it's uh, sexually transmitted. There's possible blood supply contamination, so they're very concerned, just like hemophilia, if you remember with AIDS years ago, I don't know if you remember this, uh, I was in um, SUNY Albany when uh, AIDS first came out. Uh, so I was uh, like maybe a junior or senior at SUNY, SUNY Albany in New York. And uh, when AIDS first came out, there were hemophiliacs that were getting AIDS because of the transfusions. And they had no idea where it was coming from because these were, like some of them were kids who were never sexually active. They could not figure out what was going on and they figured out that they just had never tested the blood for AIDS, right? So now they're coming up with a way to test blood for Lyme disease, right? There's so many different pieces that have to go into this puzzle to make sure it's not uh, transmitted. And now they're looking at other insects too. Uh, that they're wondering if mosquitoes can transmit Lyme disease. It's not just ticks. Because there's been some anecdotal reports of mosquitoes that are feeding on the same animals that the ticks fed on. So now the Borreal of Bergdorfi can actually get into the mosquito and they're trying to figure out can it be transmitted from a mosquito or other insects that are you know, biting insects into human beings. So there's a lot of controversy about what's going on with Lyme disease. Um, these are some of the main tests that they do with Lyme disease, um, especially the ELISA and the Western blot. These are the big ones. But if you look over here, this is the key th reason why is there's such a problem with testing for Lyme disease. Because the antibodies, when see the erythema migrans like busts up here within the first month, but the antibodies don't build up until after the, the erythema migrans goes down. So if you're testing in this time period over here, you're not seeing it. You understand? So you have to test it when the IgG or IgM is high enough to be noticeable. Now the IgG might stay up, but the IgM is here. So it's very hard to make sure that you know whether or not uh, you have Lyme disease and don't rely on just a test alone. Because what I found, like this one young lady I've been talking about, is that she has been multiple tests in the early stages and was not found to have Lyme disease. And then now it's clear that she does because they weren't testing her the proper way. They were testing right in the beginning and then a few times after, but they weren't doing all the right tests. So it's, it's a very tricky uh, disease in, the, in how to find it. A lot of these kids are gonna take, uh, like Ted said, they're gonna traditionally are gonna take um, antibiotics. Uh, there are a lot of uh, docs out there who will also do homeopathic or supplemental you know, uh, remedies. However, you which whatever way that you decide to go is, is great, just some, whatever it is, so you gotta kill that, this Borrelia bacteria. 
So let's talk about pandas a little bit. <clears throat> pandas is equally problematic because uh, pandas, just like lime, has been around since Europe in the 1800s. Uh, it was first called Sydenham's chorea by Dr. Uh, Sir William Osler. Weird, you know, the weird symptoms of kids, um, you know, from years and years and years ago. Um, but Dr. Sweeto from the National Institute of Mental Health kind of coined the term pandas in 98 um, after she started seeing uh, kids who had strep infections and then suddenly developed these really weird behaviors and, and or having some kind of tick-like uh, behaviors in the meantime. So, uh, and it's almost always been associated with group A strep to some degree. Uh, symptoms of pandas, these kids will have problems with eating, issues in school, they'll have behavioral changes, um, and a lot of them, this is the big thing that I've found, is uncontrolled movement and speech. Like they, they can't stop themselves. They get really wound up about something and then they can't stop. So like this little boy I was telling you about before, comes into the office and he would just run on and jump on the table in the first few weeks when I first met him before the, all this started happening. And then after it started happening, he would just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and just, he couldn't, he couldn't get himself out of you know, this sort of like upsetness jag that he was getting himself into. Boys are a lot more likely to get pandas than females. They don't know why this is. Um, and understand that uh, strep throat, uh, kids tend to get two or three strep throat infections every year, little ones, uh, preschoolers and, and elementary school age kids. They're getting exposed to a lot of strep every single year. So, so th that's why this is becoming more and more common because there is so much strep throat out there. Um, most kids are, who are diagnosed with pandas are happening between ages four and nine. Uh, and now they're saying one in 2,000 children has, has pandas or pans, which is a lot of kids, right? Not as much as Lyme, but it's still quite a lot of kids. Uh, I've seen this quite a bit in my practice over the last several years. Um, and here is, like, just for you guys to know what to ask for when you're doing your case history. You know, you have, if a mom or a dad or a caregiver is saying, I had a child who was relatively healthy, relatively neurotypical, and all of a sudden, they, their behavior changed. You've got to ask the question, did they get sick around that time? Because a lot of them don't put that together. Because there's have to be this giant illness in the hospital, bad, you know, wow, we, I can't believe, you know, they nearly died. I'm not talking about that kind of an illness, right? I'm talking about they could have a mild little strep throat kind of illness, or sometimes even a strep throat that wasn't diagnosed. Like they didn't even go to the hospital or go to you know, urgent care or whatever, doctor in the box and get a strep uh, throat swab. But you gotta ask the question, did, were they sick around the same time that the behavior issues changed? Because if they were, then most likely that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with strep if it was a pandas or we're dealing with some other sort of issue if it's pans, P-A-N-S. So, that's a, a very important question. This happened recently. We had a boy come into the practice who was like four or five years old, um, and he's just started developing all these weird behaviors. Uh, and he was he kind of like started talking constantly, and he started having to clean his hands all the time. And he was just became very obsessed, and he didn't want to go to school anymore, and he didn't want to play with his friends, and he didn't want to go outside. He just wanted to be inside with his mom, and it, like just total different personality change. And the first thing I asked. Uh, the mom was, um, after she's saying this, I said, Did, was there an illness that occurred sometime during this time? And she said, as a matter of fact, there was. There was an illness that occurred 
during this time. I said, what happened? She said, well, you know, he got a little sore throat, he had a little ear infection or something, then it was fine, but then that's when his behavior kind of shifted. <clears throat> so uh, I said, You're gonna, you need to get a strep test, right? You need to get some kind of strep test and figure out what's going on. And that's what was exactly what was happening, is he was positive for a group A strep. So understanding to ask the questions, right? Because if we just said, all right, let's just start doing our chiropractic stuff with him, and you don't take care of the underlying cause, you're never gonna get you know, this child to where he's supposed to, to get to. So it's, it's super important to understand the underlying cause and to make sure you have that question in your brain when a child's coming into your practice. If you see a child who is developing normally and all of a sudden they regress, you've got to say, what happened? Was there a sickness during that time? Was there a vaccination during that time? Right, because you can have a, a developmental regression because of vaccines. Uh, so you, you have to ask these kind of questions and know to ask these questions because remember, chiropractic isn't the panacea, right? And we're not looking to be the be all end all. You know, we, we need to co-manage. These cases all need to be co-managed, right? They, they may have had some treatment failures, but it doesn't mean that you're gonna do everything. So you might need to manage this with OTs and with naturopaths and pediatricians and all that kind of stuff, but be, and be okay with that. But you might, be the, you might be the one who figures this out. Because otherwise a child like this is gonna to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and just here, let's just take some Ritalin, let's just take some Prozac to get this kid calmed down and they're not ever gonna take care of the problem. So this is a comorbid issue that we'll see where these kids are being diagnosed uh, as having you know, bipolar, uh, depression, etc. But that's not the problem, right? They're, they're, they're having this, this auto, is essentially what I want you to get at is Lyme disease, Pandas, pans. These are autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders. Autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders, which means that their immune system is beginning to attack itself and it's affecting the brain and nerve system. Right? And that's why they're, they're having these kind of issues because the brain and nerve system is being challenged in a way that they're not used to. So here's the crazy thing with pandas. Um, is that the number of doctors to get a proper diagnosis is usually like it says over here 62% is five to ten doctors to get it right. So they're going to doctor, 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 and there's like it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, and then finally they figure out it's pandas. Um, which treatment, how would you say your child is doing? So most of them are saying moderate improvement, better than an onset, but still difficult in daily life. So a lot of these kids, um, just like with Lyme disease, a lot of kids with pandas are once it goes away, it doesn't mean it's totally gone. And of note is, if a child develops pans or pandas, and whatever, whatever chiropractic and other kind of stuff that's done with this child there are improving, if they get sick again, they can revert. Right? This little five-year-old boy, before he, they moved away uh, to Alabama, this little five-year-old boy had one other illness, and it was scary because he had gotten back to his normal self and wanted to get adjusted first and running all over the office and blah, blah, And then one day he came in all crying and screaming and upset again, and he had reverted back because he was sick, right? So understand that this is another kind of thing you know, that can happen with these kids. If they get sick again, they, it can affect their daily lives. <clears throat> um, and look at this. This is how much have you spent? So people have spent like thousands, tens of thousands of dollars the total estimate of the, this was a conference on pandas, the total estimate was that the parents in that room had spent over $3 million trying to figure out what was going on with their kid and how to help them. So this is, is, is huge in cost as well. 
<clears throat> so, um, yeah, it's a quarter two. So, any questions? Any questions about anything? Because I know I covered a lot of stuff in a short period of time. Any questions about anything? Yes? Um, you said that chronic chronic disease, is it always chronic? Is it always going to be a chronic case? Is it going to be acute, being treated, and then... Well, okay, great question. So, um, if you have a, a tick bite, and that tick is not taken off instantly, then you may develop early Lyme disease. The early Lyme disease symptoms are often, most commonly, big amount of fatigue and muscle pains and joint aches, which is what it, they, we were told years, and years ago. This was like pretty much the biggest you know, kind of thing. If that is not taken care of well initially, the early treatment stages, right, that's not well managed, in whatever means they manage it, then it can transition to chronic Lyme, where now you have something that's happening 24-7, 365. And either A, uh, they get it handled in some way uh, where they are now much more functional but may still have these exacerbations and remissions, or like this young lady here, she's been dealing with this for two years before she even saw us. This girl just like bottomed out and now she's coming back up. So it's a, it's a tough, tough situation. But there's the early and the late based upon when and where you, you catch them. Okay. Yeah, good question. Thank you. Yeah? How successful is homeopathy then in uh, Lyme disease? You know, it, it, for the people that it's been successful, the question was how successful is homeopathy and other sort of herbal remedies and blah, blah. It, it, for people that's successful, it's really successful. Uh, and for some people, it's, it's not. And there's no way of knowing. So it's always, it's, I always let the, the, pa the patient guide their care. So if that's the direction you want to go, try it, right? Uh, but if you want to go in this direction, so I, I'm judgment free, right? You want to go into box, go. You don't, you want to go with homeopathy, go. Just do, you gotta do something. You can't just let it sit, right? You, you gotta, you have to kill the infection. As much as I love chiropractic, in this situation, there was an insult that's past what innate is able to handle and you need to do something else to fortify the immune system. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, although certainly as they get older, they are, have less variability because they know how to control things. But um, it, it certainly can affect someone into their adult lives as well. And it's especially for PANS, where you have a child who has these very severe, uh, violent, um, uh, aggressive outbreaks and stuff. That's, that's very much can, can keep on going into adulthood. Yeah. Sad but true. Yes. On those that choose to go down the route of antibiotics, do you coach your patients about the possibility for kids if you wipe out their gut microbiome, it leads to more autoimmune disease? Yes, yes. So, I mean, there's a double-edged sword here because you got to kill this Borrelia stuff or the strep or whatever it is, but of course you're going to rip your microbiome to pieces with antibiotics. Um, so some people uh, have chosen to do IV antibiotics uh, to try to avoid the microbiome being you know, destroyed. However, there are a whole host of issues with IV antibiotics too that cause other kind of issues. So it's one of those catch-22s. Um, so generally speaking, what I do is I refer them to holistic pediatricians 
who will do a lot of probiotic therapy with them, and there's ways to intermingle how to do antibiotics and the probiotics without having them cancel each other out. Um, so, so, you, so you can't, that's why I said this is a team approach. You have someone, uh, you identify someone with Lyme or pandas or whatever, uh, and they may have to go down the antibiotic route. They need to have you and other people that are familiar with a whole different world than we are co-managing the case. Yeah, good question, good question. Any other questions? Yes? Has what? Okay. And so what would you suggest as treatment from our side as chiropractors? Well, it's a great question. So uh, from a chiropractic point of view, um, do we treat pandas or pans or Lyme? No. Uh, I work on the brain and nerve system. So what I always tell all patients is I'm going to test your brain and nerve system and see what's going on with it. We're going to test your primitive reflexes. We're going to test your eyes. We're going to test you know, your vestibular system, your cerebellum. We're going to test all these things because that's what I can work on, right? So, um, so if I, even if someone comes with autism, ADHD, or back pain, I'm still telling them the same thing. We've got to take care of your brain and nerve system because that's the fundamental stuff. And then other people can take care of other pieces, but I'm going to do my job, which is make sure that you, know, you have as least the amount of subluxations as we possibly can manage for you. Understand... And this is an interesting thing, especially been in practice as long as I have, that when you have a child who has Lyme disease, pandas, pans, autism, ADHD, their subluxations stick. So in other words, a traditional neurotypical person, you adjust them and you can go, oh, you go three times a week and then two times a week and then once a week and then you're done. And you, know, you can have an easy sort of thing. But with these kids, it takes so much longer because their subluxations kind of dig in and kind of live there in a different way. So their subluxations don't respond the way a traditional subluxation does. That's why, as I mentioned before, I think it's important for you to avail yourself of all techniques because some of these kids will need a tonal technique. Some of these kids will need an activator or TRT uh, adjustment versus a more traditional. Not that Gonstead or Thompson is bad. Of course, they're, all, they're amazing. Uh, they're foundational. You should learn that as first as your foundation. But understand that you might need to um, have other approaches for these kids because their nerve systems are fragile. We're not talking the same nerve system as like you and I may have. Their, their nerve system does not respond well to more traditional adjustments. So we have to be very, very cautious about that. Great. Yes? Right, right. Great question. So uh, the question is, how do you explain to patients it's going to take time to make this work? And really, it's the same thing I tell you know almost anybody, which is like, um, you know, we I would love for things to happen really quick, and that would be lovely if they did. But um, you know, just like it, you know, braces on teeth, you put you want them to work tomorrow. That's nice. <laughs> you know, good luck with that. Um, it's going to take you two years to make this work. 
Um, you know, we just had a patient get some Invisalign uh, things, and you know, as an adult with braces, and she said, I have to wear these different Invisalign things for like a year and a half. I'm like, yeah, this is, and she's like, can you believe that? I'm like, yeah, you, you've had your teeth for 50 years, right? They don't know what, what you're trying, you gotta teach them slow but steady this way, right? And it's the same you know, kind of thing. So, and that's how I explained to them, that I wish things happened quickly, that would be lovely if they did, but with this severity of situation, we have a slow go of it, and that's just how it, it has to be. You know? And some patients don't have the, they don't have the understanding to, to catch that, and that's okay. But most patients, if you, if you sit down with them and really you know, explain it to them, they will get that, and they'll say, well, I, everything else I haven't tried, nobody said something like that to me, so I might as well stick with this, you know. Good question, good question. So I want to thank you guys. You are really fabulous. I, I love this group. Uh, I'm asking that all of you guys really think about Jeannie, right? Really think about her and what she did for us as an ICPA organization uh, and really focus on, like, if you really want to take care of kids, what can you do in the next six months, year, two years, however long you're going to be here? What can you do to be the best pediatric chiropractor you can be by the time you graduate? You know, taking, uh, do the ICPA modules, do the ICPA club, you know, peak in offices like myself or Dr. Stone or other people who have great peak, you know, uh, practices for you guys. Whatever you can do to, to hone your skills so you're the best you can be when you graduate. Thank you so much, guys.